everyone, welcome to another week on the Trail Runs on YouTube and the podcast as well with Trail Tales, providing you with some inspiration and motivation for your running. And this week I'm joined by James Poole, who is an ultra runner, uh, all-round lover of the outdoors and someone who's involved in the running community throughout, really, in lots of different ways. Thanks for uh, coming on and joining us tonight, James. Thanks for, uh, thanks for inviting me, Tom. It's a great honour. I wanted to get you on because you've got some great experiences, stories that I'm sure people will be interested in, some of the things that you've done over the years. If we take it back to to sort of the start, because your journey through running has evolved and I guess you found your focus in the, the world of ultra, um, but I know you've done a few other things along the way. So where, where did it all begin for you as a runner? Yeah, and I think people often often forget that sometimes people's running they they know about their like most current back you know history, but perhaps less about the the you know the long term history. And I've always been a runner, I guess. When I was running, almost as as soon as I could walk, I was running and probably getting in all sorts of trouble and uh, being a being a pain for my parents. But um, so it's always it's always kind of been part part of me. And you know, as a kid, when I grew up, we were always outside. We were always we were riding our bikes to places, you know, much further than our parents probably thought we were, you know, at eight and nine. And I'm sure lots of people relate to that. You know, you just went off and lived uh, in, in the Hampshire, lived a pretty outdoor uh, lifestyle, to be honest, just you know, hanging around outside and doing sports. And and I guess it's just sort of it, over time has just become part of, of who I am. And and part of what I love doing is just being being outside in some format and it's you know running is obviously a very easy thing to do with you know low barriers to entry all you need is a pair of running shoes and you can get out and do it, it ultimately you know at its most base level yeah. um but i've but i've been through all sorts of sports over the years and uh triath- ironman triathlon um just a lot of bike racing mountain bike racing road bike racing and and i guess it's probably one of the things that has allowed me to 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 do some of the longer ultra races is is 30 years of 20 30 years of of just doing it and and enjoying it and you know building an engine i guess and uh and that definitely definitely helps if you want to go and run 400 plus kilometers in the gobi desert then <laughs> it's kind of a hard thing to train for in you know in a, in a typical training block of 12 weeks you know 24 weeks whatever you want to do it's it's one of those things i guess the people who do really well at it tend to I'm not saying that I do, but people who do really well and win, yeah. are, you know, long-term, lifelong athletes, I think. Yeah, so it's, I guess it's all part of the journey, um, you know, to yeah. achieving those things. What, what? Um, so where where did it start for you in terms of, were, were you interested in shorter distance to begin with and then built up to more endurance? Or did, did you always have... I feel like I made, I made a mistake there, really, because... I think, you know, I ran and I did stuff and I got into, into long distance, into mountain bike racing, cross country mountain bike racing. And a lot of that sort of 12 hour, 24 hour sort of long endurance racing. And, and I, you know, whilst I was running, I wasn't, it was just a bit, it wasn't really very serious and it wasn't, I certainly wasn't um, the kind of enthusiasm I have for it now, but I think because I went from doing endurance cycling and then into into road racing and and lot and sportives and the, you know the sorts of things that lots of people do now, um, I probably just went straight into the longer distances 
and and didn't pay you know homage to to you know the 5k and 10k efforts and so I didn't really start you know like people often do which is 5k 10k half marathon marathon I was sort of all in at marathon and half marathons and, and longer pretty quickly particularly because I went from bike racing to Ironman and yeah. obviously you've got to do a marathon at the end of of your 112 mile bike and so it, it sort of encourages you to spend a lot more time in that sort of I guess zone to endurance space anyway and whilst there's plenty of benefits of running of, you know of, of faster running inevitably you're 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 particularly an Ironman when less than 10% of people do a four-hour marathon for instance you know you don't you don't need to be running fast but you could particularly fast to be able to do a, you know a decent marathon at the end of an Ironman so I, I kind of regret not doing that and I think so my mindset now is a bit like you know I think 5k is like you know is absolutely one of the hardest you know to do run a fast 5k is hard it hurts from the very minute yeah. you start as well I tend to tend to like my pain now dished out over hours rather than small amounts of pain dished out over hours rather than severe pain dished out over minutes um yeah I think I'm from the the same mindset these days um yeah I mean fight a 5k or 10k on their own like you say is is a lot of hard work uh, I mean, it's great training even if you're tra- if you're doing an ultra or a marathon because it just gets you to move your legs fast and it gets you to feel it get in that uncomfortable place but i have to say there's not i haven't done very many very recently because just the, literally the thought of having to you know to run that hard and and that level of hurt even if it's even if you know in your mind and i think what you, the way you process it is to be like five minutes in you're thinking i've only got I don't know, between 13 and 15 minutes left and you can sort of break that down. But it's still, uh, it's still, you know, it doesn't, get changed. it doesn't matter how many, how many miles you've done cumulatively. I don't think anything to these things change, you know. Some people fear the long distances. Some people fear the, the shorter ones. It's all, you know, the, the same feelings whether you've done 100 marathons or, or one. You know? Yeah. There's respect, I think, for the, for the effort that gets put in. Yeah, massively across everything, I think. And I mean, the killer, I think, is the, the mile is like, I've, been, I've done a couple of the Strava miles down at night, the 10,000 meter PBs. And that's just, it feels like you're running forever. That's and, uh, that's one distance that I've never done, actually, the mile. I, I don't know. Oh, it, I don't know what I could do. I think you have to do a block of training for it. I think that's, and I never do. I'm always like, you get an invite, I go along and, and then regret not spending, you know, eight weeks or something running 400 meter repeats. And yeah. you, know, you get three laps in and, and you can't breathe and your, leg, and your legs are like lead and you've still got one lap to go. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> really, it's a really hard event. I have a lot of respect for those people running 1500 meters and mile because, you know, it's, it's longer than a sprint, but the pace you have to run is still, uh, it's still very high. Yeah. Um, what, what's your fastest time for the mile out of interest? I, I can't, I don't really know. I've run so few, about five minutes. I think yeah. the last time I ran, I, I ran one, I wasn't in very good shape and um, not in, certainly in speed shape, but I think I ran like 525 or something. Wow. But it's still not, not fast by, uh, by anyone's standards, but um, yeah, I, I, my, I ended up being able to do not, not a considerable amount slower than that, but like for a long, same as you, for a longer period of time. But, you know, there's, a, there's definitely a cap on how fast my little legs will, uh, will carry me to, you know, towards zero, I guess. The faster stuff is hard. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree there. Um, I'd much rather be out for 30 hours than five, five yeah. minutes. But 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you've got to respect those people who are willing to, you know, to go out and, and hurt like that. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I totally agree. Before, before we get into talking about some of the challenges and events that you've done and the way you've pushed yourself, yeah. um, you're, you're very much involved in the, the running community as a whole, I would say, and I, I don't want to underplay that. Um, by just focusing on the things that you've done, but um, you, you founded Advent Running, which has sort of turned into a big community. And I know it was always meant to just be a, a bit of a challenge. Um, and then now your, your work has taken you into the, the running community as well. Um, was, that, was that all a conscious decision to kind of get involved in that way? Or was it something that evolved over time? No, but I know when I look back, you know, you always think of these decisions you should have made when you were younger. And, and I worked for 15 years in the city um, before I escaped, um, <laughs> before I managed to get out of that, that industry. Um, and, and, I, and I love that. And I don't, you know, I don't regret doing many of those years there. But yeah, it was just a slippery, you know, it, I think the idea that we, I think there's a very traditional idea that we, work in an industry for the entirety of our, our lives. That certainly was the case, I think, for our parents. And, yeah. and I think uh, as we look at the young people who are now starting to get to working age, the reality is they're not going to probably work in, in one industry for 40 years, maybe longer. Um, it's just not real. And I think probably I, you know, that, that dawned on me that maybe I didn't have to stay in finance for the whole of my life doing something that I wasn't really enjoying. And, and I had created Advent Running sort of, again, unintentionally as a, as a challenge we did with, with friends and then got, got somewhat bigger uh, over time. And, and it sort of provided a platform to work with some running brands. Yeah. Um, and I obviously had this background in, uh, in coaching, in triathlon and in running, and I'd obviously some background in cycling. So I had these sorts of interests that I was, to be honest, you know, the classic, I was living for the weekends, working yeah. in the city, living for the weekends, spending you know silly amounts of money on bike stuff because that's kind of what you do when you get into bike racing but but ultimately not really enjoying the the, the monday to friday and living for these you know for the evenings perhaps when i could run with friends and then saturdays and sundays and you know i had this moment where i just literally you know woke up on a monday morning and rang in sick and i wasn't sick i just couldn't go to work and, and fake it anymore and so it wasn't, you know, the following day I went in and, but it did, you know, spark this idea that I had to be a bit more true to myself. And I also couldn't um, be false to my employer because I didn't want to be one of those people that was spent the next 30 years, you know, hiding from doing the actual job. Um, so I can take home a decent pay packet, but, but absolutely hating it because I think life's too short for that. So it's sort of come about. And I think if you're someone who's passionate about the sport, sport being outdoors in general hope you know I, I think you know your community is not that hard to build if you're a passionate person and you can you can encourage others to do what you, you've done and break down some of the, the barriers that exist yeah. um in in sport participation and i think a lot of those are, are old-fashioned ways of people overthink things um and I'll probably upset some people with by saying this but some of the some of the traditional running clubs not all of them but some of them are Make, have, have made joining difficult and have not necessarily encouraged people who just want to go out and run with more people. It's been about performance. And as we know from the success of Park Run, you know, it's all shapes and sizes and 
walks of life can are equal on the on the playing field of of park run and and I think that you know Avon running was was probably it was, it's, it was launched in 2014, so it was, it's quite seven years old. And I think at that time, it was definitely, there wasn't so much park run. There wasn't so many collectives and clubs, non-traditional running clubs, communities. Yeah. Uh, and brands have got on board with those now. And, and so it, the world has changed a lot. And I, I think, you know, I, I don't put my hand up and say I'm responsible for that, but there was so definitely a movement in, you know, starting sort of with Run Dem Crew. And, and I think Nike Run Club, in fairness, when they had their big runs out of, of um, Oxford, Oxford Street. And, but the world's changed a lot now. Now you see you know, hundreds of thousands of people doing park run each week and lots and lots of running groups and lots of running communities, uh, you know, something for everybody. And, that, and that's amazing. But yeah, and I and I still and no, one of the things that's been hardest over the last twelve months is is the lack of of running with other people. Yeah, I mean it's yeah it's been massively tough, hasn't it? And you know, lack of groups, lack of races, lack of chance to kind of um, meet other people, see. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? nothing we can do about it. It, it is what it, it has been, what it's been. And, and, you know, it's a bit of a first world problem to be complaining about um, the fact that, you know, we couldn't run when lots of people have you know, sadly died. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a small thing, but it's, um, but it has been something I've definitely missed and something that's, you know, helps, certainly helps my mental well-being is to get out and meet with people and, and you know, listen to them and, and, and un- maybe unintentionally encourage them to, to do, you know, to be more of themselves as well. So Advent running then, um, I guess that that still kind of went ahead this year online through. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, it is, it is online to be honest for yeah. 90% of the people who are part of it, because although we have, we did have pre COVID a pretty um, vibrant physical run calendar per week. So we would do six runs a week in various forms. Um, it's obviously, you know, it's all been online since and people encourage each other through posting photos and talking about their runs and, and, you know, and, and in that, in that case, it's sort of, it sort of leads itself. Yeah, sure. And in terms of your work and career, how, how has that progressed now into the running industry? <laughs> well, it was going really well until, uh, <laughs> until this virus came along and, um, and I, I mean, I, I now spend my time you know, working with with brands and I've worked with a lot of brands over the last four or five years. Um, and I now have a, a fantastic partnership with the North Face, which is which is great. And I've worked with a, number, a varying number of different brands um, over that time. And it's, it's been great. It's kind of what I, unintentionally what I wanted to do. But um, but it's been obviously been tough because. It's been hard to, you know, to, to live an outside life and we've been somewhat restricted to, to being indoors bar for a period for exercise every day. Yeah. And, I, and, and, we've, and I've been very true to those, um, to the guidelines. So, you know, we haven't snuck, snuck out and done long runs. You know, we go out for an hour, an hour and a half, generally speaking, and uh, a day and, and keep stick to those things and don't go too far from home. And, and I know the guidelines are not necessarily cast in stone, but I think if you are in... If you are in the visible eye, then erring on the side of caution, I think, is the is the is the correct thing to do. Yeah, massively, and um, 
putting in your your balcony sessions on the on the turbo train yeah. as well. I, yeah, I, I mean, the, the reason for that is that it's looking ahead a little bit is that we do have, obviously, the world is opening up and there are races, fingers crossed, in the calendar for this year. And and it being in my 40s now, it's, you know, I can't, it's sort of, it's sort of been two things. One, COVID has stopped us being able to go out and do lots of running and get and getting into the mountains. And I live in East London, but also, you know, maybe think, maybe think a bit more about how, I I train differently, and so buying a buying a, tur- a turbo trainer, buying a smart trainer, and then using that to actually increase volume from home has been is my strategy for this year. Is to so is to, to aim for about four hundred kilometers a month on the bike and about a hundred kilometers um, a month running. Okay, and just build and generate a big engine for some hundred milers later in the year. The, the idea being that I'll probably be strong on the ups and I'll have to go easier on the downs where I just haven't got the specific training over the last 18 months to make, you know, to make that plausible. Yeah, no, it's, it's made it massively tough to, to get in any specific training. And I, I love that focus and sort of using cross training as a target for, for later in the year. Um, and to be honest, I'm not really a cross cross training advocate. To be honest, I think if you're if particularly in things things like the mar- the marathon, I think if you want to run a marathon, you need to run a lot because yeah. you have to run a lot on a, in a day. But I do think you know when you get to, into that mountain ultra event thing, it's time on legs and it's a bit having a big engine to get you up the hills. Is is going to just going to afford not having to worry so much about smashing the downhills, which, as you know, is the bit that causes huge amounts of quad damage and is the bit that maybe stops you getting to the end. So if you can be strong on the ups and then and then instead of smashing the downhills like you want to, take it easy and run a bit more intelligently than than perhaps I would have done in previous years, uh, it might might be a better strategy. And and I think longevity. You know, as you get older, I don't think you can continue to train in the same way. And expect the you know expect to be injury free and and pain free and so maybe you know looking at a bit more strength and conditioning a, a lot more volume but in a, on a non-impact basis is a smarter way of training for, for me in my 40s than it was when I was running in my 30s and could bounce back quicker yeah that's really interesting actually did um I, I was going to get on to training um, a little because as we as we talk about some of the the races and challenges that you've done, but have you have you you've kind of explained it there going through the last year and into this year for your own training? Um, what what does the average training week look like for you? Has that changed a lot then over the years in terms of how many miles you're running or? Um, well. I know you. I know you ran a, a pretty rapid marathon, two forty. Two forty-two, mine was. Yeah. Yeah, and I ran two forty-four uh, five years ago, and and so if I look back at that specifically, because it's a good example, I was running a lot. I was running a hundred plus miles every week, and, and in a peak week, I might run one hundred and twenty-five, hundred and thirty, and a lot of that was a was a relative, well, relatively uh, slow pace. But there'd be a couple of peak. You know, decent sessions a week, and and I, whilst I enjoyed it for the for the for a block, 
I was always like nursing niggles and always on the teetering on, you know, was it too much? And it, and it hurt me. And, and, and I didn't lose the love for it because I ran the time I wanted to. And that in itself was to go through that, that training and then come out the other side and achieve the thing you, what you set to do is quite, is quite something, particularly when it's so specific. I mean, cause, cause a UTMB finish or something is, you never really know and the weather plays such a major role and it's just so many factors that but in a marathon you I think you can if you've trained well and you you know you, you can run a time that you're really happy with based on the training but it was hard and and I you know I wouldn't want to repeat that cycle I don't think very regularly because I just it started to suck the joy out of the thing that I, I loved um so back then it was almost all it was all mileage a little bit, not enough, but a little bit of strength and conditioning. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I could do that five years later. I don't think I, I want to, and I don't think I, I can. I have probably like you have London Marathon um, in October, and I, you know, and I'm hoping we'll see what happens. I, I, I care less now than I did then, so it, it's, it's a good experiment to see whether that sort of high high volume, and then high volume for the most of the training period, and then change things up in the last eight weeks um to something more marathon pace something with some with some faster sessions in whether that works for something i, I mean i haven't really set a target so but under three hours or something like that would be uh, a two, 250 something would be would be nice but yeah. we'll see so i mean I, i've got in theory i've got a 100 miler in september so it doesn't okay. exactly work well with that but but we'll see and but but now it consists of you know, as I said of of about twenty hours a week, split roughly fifty fifty in terms of time. Yeah, you can obviously do a lot more on, a lot more distance on the bike, and and you can I, I tend to find that I can work harder on the bike for with a much quicker recovery than I can by you know by if, if, every time you run you slam your feet into the, into the ground to some yeah. extent and and that you know takes its toll on you much more much physically much more physically than uh, than the cycling with zero impact yeah no definitely you you are taking loads of impact through running it's interesting what you were saying there about marathon training because um after doing the 242 last year when we thought it was going ahead in april i trained super hard at the start of the year trying to target around 240 um and then obviously it got cancelled and now i'm looking back going i'm not sure i can do that specific training again it was a lot of volume and targeted sessions whereas now i'm much more it's a lot of hours isn't it i mean yeah. you know irrespective of, of how fast you're running them you're going to spend you're going to do a lot of hours of training and and it and it's you know, it, and i think if you if you're single-mindedly and focused and you don't have anything else in your life or not much but the minute <laughs> you start to have work and family and other commitments you know I, 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 I'm in awe of people who have families and, and you know extensive jobs, and then they run you know two 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 twenties and two thirties, and they manage all that effort. And I do think you probably level up. I do, you know, I think at some point, yeah, and we've all been there, right? Your your two the two hour marathon becomes the one uh, two, sorry the two hour half becomes the one forty five half, and then you get to a point when say a you know a 145 half or a 130 half whatever is is pretty much a given so you kind of get that level and i suspect those people you know if you do enough training in that space you you know how to run that as much as it's as much as what you know and how you ex how you execute 
as it is about the training but yeah it's just no doubt it's a lot of work it is it's hard work but so so is training for the ultras um but it's just a different sort of training and probably more enjoyable um as you say mixing it up a little bit more as well um so yeah let's let's get into some of those ultras that you've done and the various races because you've got you've got quite an impressive uh, challenge and race cv i guess you've got races in there UTMB. I always like to be, it's one of those things that's the same with the marathon, right? You, you, you think you've run quite quick and then you meet, you know, 10 people who've run <laughs> sub 220 or something. So I, I always try and keep these things a bit humble and a bit um, yeah. respectful of others who've done much better. But I mean, I, I've had, a, I've had the, the, the great advantage of sort of getting into them a bit earlier as well. So okay. you know, I didn't, the, the, the UTMB wasn't quite as, uh, as oversubscribed as it was. And, and so I've, you know, I've, I've run two editions of TDS and two editions of, uh, two editions of UTMB, three, in fact, I didn't finish the last time, but uh, two, two finishes at UTMB and two at TDS. And then my second hundred miler was Western States, which wow. was, um, which was pretty insane and, and was on one ticket. So wow. if anyone's watching and, you know, and thinks it's not worth entering because the odds are so bad. Yeah, they are bad, but someone has to every year, Somebody has to, uh, some people get through with one ticket. So do the qualifier, put your name in the hat and uh, you get to do, you know, with, with some luck, a lot of luck, you get to run, you know, the most, probably the most iconic hundred miler in the world. So yeah, yeah, my second, second hundred miler was, was UTMB and it was uh, Western States and managed to just scrape 23 hours and, and one second and 29 seconds to, uh, wow. to, to get a silver buckle. That's cool. And that was pretty cool. And that was for your second. I mean, to go from Thames Path 100 to to uh, Western States was a bit of a was a bit of a shock to the system. I have to be honest, um, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. But uh, but yeah, so, I've, so I, I've done a few of the the big races, and then you know a few of the the work um, the Ultra Trail World Tour races, the the Trans Grand Canaria and the um, Lavareda. I mean, I guess, and then I did a few of those. But then I got into some of the sort of ultra ultra if you like, which has been, which I do find, you know, they're, they're, they're more of an, an expedition than they are. A, they're more of an adventure than they are a race in yeah. many cases. I mean, the uh, Trans Grand Canaria 360, I think I was sixth in, I did that in 20, 2018. And uh, it was just, you, you, we went, a lot of people, it was the first year it happened. A lot of people went out with rucksacks on and big back and race packs full of stuff. And, came back three days later and it was, you know, I don't, I'm not sure anyone was really racing to be honest, a few people at the front, but um, yeah, the rest of us are trying not to trying to work out where the hell we were most of the time. Cause it didn't, it wasn't marked. So it was a case of following the, really following the GPS and, and the markings in it, it, it. I thought that this year, someone's gone like 50, 50 hours or something crazy for 200, for 260 K or something like that. So that's pretty nuts. And, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, then you start, how long did that take, take you? Sorry, I was seventy-three hours. Okay, but to be honest, I—I I mean, I, I had sit-down food in restaurants and things. I mean, that was the, the idea was it was self-sufficient. Yeah. So they had these life stations along the way, which were sometimes they were the checkpoints for the for the for the other races. And 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 I think I naively, when I signed up for it, thought it would be the 
uh, a sort of tour of the best trails of, of uh, Gran Canaria. But it, what it turned out to be was all the goat tracks and all the crappiest, tiny little routes that you could find and scrambling up sandy cliffs and things. I mean, it, it was it was brutally extreme. And because you just had your GPS, you know, and it just... But you, but you're allowed to stop in towns, and and I was literally looking. You know how you, with your um, iPhone it shows you photos and things. Sometimes it back the history. I found a photo of me holding a can of of beer with my running poles, and it, it really? reminded me that I, at one point I had I got a bought a can of beer in a petrol station in that race because it was like three o'clock in the morning, and I probably was <laughs> wondering what on earth I was doing doing this race. And so a beer was a, probably a good idea at that time, and some local fizzy uh i think it's called Tro tropica or something of like the local the local beer yeah from a petrol station and but but those are some, some of those races are that you know the memories that you the funnest memories because you're just just doing sort of trying to get to get to the finish line and so yeah I mean, it's good i mean that those those are some of the funnest times i've had really have been rather than worrying about whether i'm going to finish 43rd or 63rd or 127th or whatever has been kind of enjoying the the experience as much as as much as enjoying the, the race you know yeah definitely um and also you you went and did the 400k uh desert mm. ultra in china um yeah in 2018 and i was meant to 2018 and i was meant to go in 2019 okay and unfortunately it got cancelled to, to international athletes two days before which is a bit well it's it, then they, they changed the course so it's kind of it, which is a bit frustrating because it's really quite hard to compare from one year to the next yeah um so in the, the year before i went dan lawson went and ran he ran a ridiculous 72 hours for 400 and and thank you maybe, maybe 72 Yes, let's call it 72 hours. I don't know. It was around that. And, um, and three days for 400K, you know, altitude in this very unforgiving, unforgiving uh, terrain. And so, but the next year they changed the course and not that I would have ever got, ever got anywhere near Dan Lawson because he's a much better runner than me, but it didn't really allow us to sort of make any comparisons. And of course, any sort of preparation was out of the question because the course was completely different, but, but also that added to the adventure. Well, I was yeah. meant to go in 2019 and because it was, they changed the route and it was going into Tibet or very close to the Tibetan border, they, it was very, obviously, you don't really mention Tibet when you go to, to China. And so there was, was obviously sensitivities around this particular area and they decided, the, the, the Chinese government decided that, yeah, people from outside of China couldn't race. So it was a bit, I mean, it was just one of those things. But a lot of people, a lot of the international athletes got upset, but it's out of the hands of anyone you know really so yeah but it's an in, in, insane race and i'm not sure it's running in now i'm not mm -hmm. sure that they they're going to continue it i think it might have now be done um, because of that and because of obviously covid um the yeah. complications but yeah it's 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 an insane race where you don't have you have a gps with not many track points and you have to navigate for 400 and i mean 400k on the on the entry, but I think I did 432 or something like that for over the distance. And, and yeah, you get to, but it's amazing. You what? get to see camels and you get to hallucinate for hours on end. And <laughs> yeah. What, what's the, um, 
what's the preparation for tackling a distance like that? How do you go into something where you know you're going to be out for so long? But I, I think I said this to people when I came back. I honestly think anyone listening to this podcast could go out there and do it, really. Whether you'd want to is another thing. But the reality is it's like a seven-day cutoff. Maybe it's longer than that. It's a long cutoff. And whilst 400 kilometres is a long way, the biggest mistake you can make is to run a lot because the terrain is brutal. The terrain is uneven. It eats shoes. It, I mean, I think I went through two pairs of shoes during the race. It just, it's, it's the rock, the surface is very, very rough. It's quite hard to run on in lots of places. And the route in itself is, is, is just your GPS. So the problem we had as international runners was that we had, um, if you've ever used a GPS, you know, handheld, yeah. you know, usually it's, unless you've got the base map, which you can see the contour lines, you can you have to follow a straight line. So what we didn't have was because it's China, we didn't have base maps. So all we could do is if the route went north northwest, we would go follow the line. As where what the local athletes would be able to do is look at the contour lines and then realize they could go a different way and they, they would see paths and roads and things. Well, we didn't have any of that. So we just had to do it as a crow flies. So we were over mountains and and hills and 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 sand dunes well the other well the athlete the local athletes ran on they ran further but they ran on roads and on the flat and so we were it wasn't really till i finished that i realized this because i I was you know i was looking for people that should should have been i could see footprints for other people but then you could see you'd see someone else in a very far in the distance you know out off to your right by five or six hundred eight hundred meters and that's because they were running the, the smart route, the real route, <laughs> using the topography, and we were, we were just going over whatever we did. But it, it was insane. We, we ran through, you know, cities in the middle of the night that had just been built in the middle of, a, of the desert. And we, I mean, I, I hallucinated and, and, and got hypothermia. And, we, you know, we were, we were unsupported. So we would have a box of food that would get transported to all of the aid stations. In fact, we had six boxes of food and they would, they would move around with some things in them, but you, the only thing you could get at the aid stations was hot and cold water. And unfortunately, because at altitude, the hot water never seemed to be very hot. So we basically just had cold water for your, for your uh, noodles and your dehydrated meals. So it was, it was, it was an, it was an insane, I would, if, you know, it sounds crazy and horrible, but if someone gave me an opportunity to go back next year, grab it with both hands. Cause it's, you're, you're, you know, you're on, you're, you have the Tibetan plateau, the Tibetan mountains in front of you. And whilst it's minus 15 at night and 25 degrees in the daytime, it's still, it's still like nothing else you'll ever experience. And so I'm very, very, you know, very honoured to have, to have been out there and, uh, and, and running in somewhere so incredible. Yeah, I mean, what, what an experience and one that oh, 100%. So many people won't, you know, won't get it. So, so too many stories for, for one, uh, for one <laughs> podcast. But, the, you know, what, the, what, perhaps the most frustrating but the most amusing thing was that I, I was um, Nathan Montague, who's in, who was Team GB runner and, and ran a previous year, uh, and was out there with me. And he, and he got massively lost on the last day because his GP, I don't know whether he just was so tired he couldn't work his GPS out. He said his GPS went crazy bit of both I think he got lost and so I was ahead of him and I don't know and I don't know how far because you know who knows um but I was running into the and I knew I had like 20k to go and I came to the last checkpoint and the sun went down 
And again, we're just following this straight line and the straight line was to the finish, but you couldn't do a straight line to the finish because there was a quarry in the way and two major roads. And, but all we had was this straight line. So I was just climbing over fences and climbing through water troughs and I went down into a quarry and I was literally getting, you know, pretty stressed by the fact that I, the distance was maybe a kilometer from the finish line and yeah. I just couldn't get there. And, uh, and I was desperately worried as well. The competitiveness in me was that, that Nathan, having got ahead of him, was going to run past me with like 500 metres to go. And he's a much better runner than me. So I was like, ah, and, and like obviously dehydrated and hadn't slept properly for, for four days. And so, so in the end, I, was, I found this place called the, uh, the Lost City, which is where the, the, um, where the finish line was. But I couldn't get in because I wasn't at the entrance. And I, I found... And this one, this one guy, and he was really drunk, and he was singing karaoke in a bar on the side of this lost city. And, uh, and of course, I'm trying to speak to him about, and he doesn't speak any English, and I don't speak any Chinese. And even if I spoke any Chinese, he wouldn't have understood me. But yeah. he was singing really bad karaoke. And I was on the phone to the race director saying, uh, how the hell do I get in? And then eventually, after running around for like an hour, I managed to find an entrance and I, and they, but I was in, I wasn't, there was a big long runway where you meant to run down and I just appeared like on the side and they were like, they played <laughs> this music and they put off all the fireworks. And I was like furious that I'd spent an hour doing a kilometer running around, a, around a, an old town. And uh, I, I mean, 30 seconds after the music played and the fireworks went, I was grinning like an idiot and yeah. happy to, happy to finish. But but yeah, it was this, this, just this sort of perfect storm of Nathan thinking Nathan was going to be running down the road ahead of me. Not that it really mattered. And the tiredness and this, this crazy Chinese guy singing karaoke. It was, just, <laughs> uh, yeah. it was nuts. It was, it was, that, that, I mean, it, that's, some, that's just one of many crazy stories that, uh, that, that were happened on, you know, four days of running through the, the Gobi Desert. Mad. Absolutely insane. And um, did, did Nathan get ahead of you at all or did he manage? He didn't get ahead of me. In fact, he came in a long time after me because oh, really? it turned out that they basically, they, they have you all on a big screen. It's like, a, it's like an HQ and everyone's got trackers on and they have you on a big screen. And they put a, put a, he was so far off course, they took a van out and said to him, you're going the wrong way. Um, you need to go in that direction. <laughs> But of course, it's so hard in the desert to if you haven't got working GPS is to keep on the straight track because there's no real reference point. There is. But I guess you have to look a long way. And like, you know, if you if you if you, if you go fell running, you know, and, and you understand that. But but when you're 70, 80 hours into a race, it's hard. And he, so he went wrong again. He went wrong again. I think he put a lot of extra kilometers in. And then he still had the same problems that that I had. It was it was dark and he just had a straight line to follow. And so he came in about 12 hours later and anyway. I'd gone back to the hotel and had some sleep and I got up and I saw, you know, and someone said, Oh, he's back. And I went to see him and he, he must've lost 10 kilos and he looked, I didn't even recognize him. He looked like a different man. He looked, I mean, we all looked like we'd been at war, but Nathan looked worse than everyone else. His feet were just so blistered and swollen and his face was so sunburned and his lips were bleeding and yeah, I mean, it was, it was a war zone. I mean, it was amazing, but it, it, it pushed us, you know, to, you don't, you're taking in you know, a thousand calories a day, I guess, because you just yeah. can't, you just don't want to eat noodles and 
rehydrated food despite the fact that you should so you're just taking you know you're not moving very fast but just the, the conditions the weather just beats you know, the blazing sunshine just cooks you and at night just freezes you and just, yeah. just yeah, mad maddest place uh, on, on i've ever been to i think i remember seeing a photo of you after you completed that and um yeah i mean i've got some cracking photos i was fortunate enough to go with for, um with red bull uh, bulletin so i have, a, I have a, had a piece in red bull bulletin and they paid for james carnegie photographer to come with me who's a great mate so yeah. uh, i mean i probably had a slight advantage in as much as when i had when i got to checkpoints whilst he couldn't help me there was somebody there a friend was there and occasionally he would pop out of like the ground somewhere and, and take photos and it'd be like oh thank you know thank god there's somebody i know i haven't spoken to anyone for 12 hours haven't seen anybody but um but yeah so he took some incredible and incredible photos and so uh, yeah i've got a great collection of of photos of me looking totally broken um and some good ones at the beginning in fairness so yeah it was it's it's, a, it's an amazing race and i think anyone who gets a chance to go and do one of those those races like that should give it a shot yeah i think you know a lot of them and they're not as hard as i think you know everyone loves a bit of hyperbole the hardest race in the world and but i think you know, to, to finish is within the grasp of lots of people with with a lot of you know, with with a lot of effort to put into it, but I mean, winning is another thing altogether. But but uh, but getting round something like a, a Gobi is definitely doable. I mean, seven, whether you want to be in the desert for seven days is another thing altogether. With nowhere to sleep and and you know, each yeah. to their own, I guess. I was going to say, did did you manage to get much sleep um, during that time? Yeah, and and one of the things, if I did it again, I would. Have more of a sleep strategy i think okay the, 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 the female winner was about six hours behind me and she slept micro slept every like 15 15 minutes in a lot of places i personally i hated the faff of because you had to have a sleeping bag because it was so cold at night yeah. so you'd have to unpack all your stuff climb into your sleeping bag re repack it all up and i just felt like for me it was too much time wasted i ended up nearly dropping out um because I got hypothermia about 200 kilometers in and because I was hallucinating so much and I thought I was on a frozen lake climbing over boats um, and I just got completely disoriented and about 2k from the from the checkpoint I took me like an hour and a half to get because I was climbing over boats on a frozen lake paranoid that I was going to fall in the frozen neither of which existed um, but then I by the time I arrived in I was I'd been moving so slowly that I, at minus 15 I got hypothermia and i was full shaking in my sleeping bag and they were like very the, the medical people were very worried that i was in big trouble and they talked to unbeknownst to me they talked about um evacuating me really? but i managed to warm up um and i actually had seven hours sleep and that made a huge difference because i think i hadn't slept by this point for for 50 hours and i just made making poor choices and i was hallucinating so badly that I couldn't, I didn't really know where I was going. And yeah. so actually a seven hour sleep, which whilst not my not being that smart in terms of time management meant that I didn't then hallucinate to the, till I got to the finish, you know, till I finished and made better decisions and followed the route properly and ate more. And it's, so it's a funny one. I think, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't wait as long as, as I waited again, I'd have some, some small micro sleeps or something along the way early rather than, push on for two days and 
try and you know, try and man it. I think I think I'd seen Dan Lawson and uh, and yeah, he'd done such a good job of not sleeping at all. But, uh, <laughs> that was that was obviously the approach that I took. Yeah, it's it's hard to know with things like sleep and rest and using checkpoints. One part of you doesn't want to kill the time and lose it, but then on the other hand, that can actually give you a massive gain towards the end. So yeah, absolutely, balance, isn't it? Uh, I think it. I think it's dep- I think a lot of it depends on the race, right? I mean, you can, you know, you, you can sit down and do the maths, and you can say if I spend ten minutes at every checkpoint on a Centurion South Downs hundred, you know, and there's thirteen checkpoints, I have two hours of not moving. Yeah, which, you know, it's a significant chunk of time. But then you go, but if you're going out for, <laughs> if you're going out for half a week, if you're going for four <laughs> days, I mean, it, interestingly, the, the the Chinese had a very different strategy. They would come in. And have maybe four hours rest, and they'd have massages, and and they'd have a big meal, and they'd sleep, and it was kind of weird because um, Nathan and I were on the, I was fifth, and Nathan was sixth, and we but we were mixing it up in the sort. Nathan was pretty close to third, and the Chinese would come in, and they'd be panicking. They the questions they'd be asking is where are the English? Where are the English? And uh, and then we would come in while they were still in the A session. Often we'd leave before they had their meals and things, but I think they had the advantage of the, the, uh, the maps and they, they would then, you, cause the thing is you never see them again. And then when you arrive to the A station, they'd be ahead of you. And you're like, this is weird. How come these guys managed to get ahead of us during the, and yeah, that's what we worked out by the, the end is that they were running probably much less elevation than we were because they were going round mountains rather than over them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, before we leave uh, the Gobi Desert, what what was your sort of total elevation over that as well? Was it? I think it was thirty thousand meters or something. Yeah, it was it it was a lot, and and actually perhaps the hardest part was that it was um, a, a big chunk. Of, you start at two thousand meters, so I can't remember. Maybe it wasn't as much as that. Maybe it actually wasn't as much as that. I think it was probably fifteen thousand. It's been a few years now, and I yeah, to be yeah. honest, I never really because we didn't know what it was beforehand we didn't really know what it, and i can't remember it was quite a lot but but what was most notable was that we started at 2000 meters and halfway it was a 4000 meter mountain pass and so a lot of it was above three th- you know it was relatively high if you think there's, there's zero european races where you can get above 4000 meters yeah um for any prolonged period it, it, but it wasn't a you know we're up a mountain pass and it was just a gray road gray <laughs> gravel roads that we went over um at 4,000 meters but it just shows you the whole whole height of the of, of the go of the plateau and the tibetan plateau and you know the mountains around you in the distance mostly are 7,000 8,000 meter peaks and you start to make you it makes you does make you feel very very small when you, when you look around at the terrain you're in and look up at these sort of cliffs and things and realize that you're at 4,000 meters and the cliffs above you go you know, a thousand meters higher or fifteen hundred meters, you you do really you know have a feeling of of being pretty minute. Yeah, that's amazing. I was I was just keen to get a kind of insight into what it was like, but um, no, what an experience! And oh, it was amazing. Honestly, it's I think yeah. that, I mean Asia before we disappear from Asia. I mean Asian running culture is amazing because it particularly particularly China, but but Thailand and Hong Kong as well because. It, you know, it, it's it's not it doesn't have the hang ups, particularly in China, that we have perhaps in the UK and in Europe. 
the long history and long history obviously creates loads of great stories about amazing people who've done things you know sub four minute miles and all this and the very, all the other things all the trappings of all the the great runners that we've had but it also has some some negativities around people getting involved and are you a runner yet and all that you know do you have to you know what do you need to buy to be a runner you know all this stuff that we, we used to, you only have to go yeah. to facebook and people are, are worried about it doesn't exist because running five years ago six seven years ago in china was something you did when you were late you know or, or you were poor and you couldn't you didn't have any transport but and the, and, and there's a, that's a huge difference to 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 how it is in the uk so what it means is that people think of it as a as a pastime as a sport and and no one owns no one owns any kit so when you go to a race and, I, and i'm fortunate to a couple of races in china i did the uh, utmb 100 miler in Gaoligong in oh, yeah. 2017, which is amazing. But the, the, the 50K race had like 2,000 Chinese runners, about 50% were women, and they were all dressed in the most, in the brand new skin tight lycra. Everything matched. It was like this neon fest, and it, they looked amazing and they were loving it. And they did like a, a keep fit sort of workout at the beginning to a, to a, a woman on the stage with a microphone. And it was, it was more like a hackney half, you know, warm up than it was yeah. for a 50 K race. And they got, you know, they just love it. And so to be sort of part of this part rave, part theater experience, part fireworks display was just nuts. And, and, <laughs> and that's China for you. And they have, you know, because of the sheer population, they have when the race starts they get thousands of people signing up on day one yeah they have a race in china i don't think again i don't know what's happened to it since since covid called uh alice in wonder trail and it's a women's only race and it's a trail race and uh the the uh, the sort of the i the a manga icon for the race is a is a woman like dressed as a sort of superhero in running kit with the sword and men are allowed to run in it, but only if they're dressed as a rabbit. And, <laughs> and then the women chase them, the men in the, in the rabbit suit. So yeah. cool. I, I've not even heard of that one. But, um... I, I mean, there's, there's, there's so many races in China that yeah. are springing up. And there's, you know, there's a lot of big city races in cities you've never heard of with 10,000 plus people entering them. And it's just you know, just because of the sheer mass of people. But I think it's exciting. And I think what we're going to see is some of the athletes. We are already seeing some of the Chinese athletes coming into Europe and dominating. And they're going to, you know, they, they, they live in, in groups, you know, in groups. And they're, you know, the worry is that they get sort of, you get a sort of Soviet style um, camps and things where they're, where they're, doped and stuff but, but some of the ones i've met there have, have, you know out away from all that have been super nice people who are super enthusiastic and and really strong and so we'll see i think we're going to see a lot more asian runners on the european scene when we when things start to return to normal yeah that's that's really interesting and it's it's a country and area in terms of running that i don't actually know much about i i know a few of the races but um yeah it'd be cool to to see what happens well there's two utmb races now right in uh, in china so yeah. the panda race and galigong and then a few more of the oh, and then there's um it happened i think it happened for, for local people in thailand uh just just last year in november and so yeah i think you're going to see a big explosion in sort of people going out to race in those i mean hong kong 100 has been around for quite a long time yeah. 
That's true. And there's a, there's a very vibrant scene in Hong Kong. So I'll have to yeah. uh, add some of those to the bucket list at some point. Well, yeah, it's a good play, good way of getting a holday and, uh, and right. doing something you love, you know? Yeah, definitely. And um, so moving away from, from that area, um, the other one that you did within the last few years is the uh, GR221. Um, yeah, FK. the Drystone Trail in Mallorca, so which you... I did stupidly, yeah, as a stunt. It was, uh, it's the length of the island, isn't it? Um, it's, the... it's almost, the sp- I would say it's the spine of the island. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's frustratingly not quite the furthest point west to the furthest point east, but it's pretty close. And it runs um, through the old Pilgrim Trail of Mallorca. And it's been there a, a long, long time. And like all the other GR trails, it's a, it's a pilgrim's walk. And, and I used to go cycling in Mallorca. And I, I used to organize uh, triathlon camps in, in Puerto Palenza. And we want, went to one camp and we had some trail runners. And we were like, should we go and find some trails? And we found this GR221, which was pretty tame, but pretty nice. The last 25K of the route is is maintained and signposted and, and has little signs telling you about the trees and the flora and the fauna. And so I just, yeah, I had a, I took a look at it and, and uh, went out and wrecked it a couple of times and ran it in over a few days. And then, yeah, with for Strava, they were looking for some, someone, stu- someone stupid to do something fun. And I think we had about three weeks notice. And so just James Connie, he, came again I did it unsupported so he he was there as a photographer but wasn't allowed to help me so I did it self-supported so I could basically buy things from shops yeah um but I couldn't take assistance from anybody I had to be able to that anyone could do that's the rules yeah so yeah we went out on in May and it was like way way hotter than any of the times I'd been out there before it was like 30 degrees really early on and because we've been aiming for photo- photos we started like a lot later than because the idea was to run 24 hours. So we were like, oh, well, it'd be great to have photos at like eight o'clock on the beach, nine o'clock on the beach. So we started at nine o'clock in Port Andrax and it's just way too hot, too early. Yeah. And, and yeah, and, and, and the, the, it's a beautiful trail. And I've taken pe- I've pre COVID, I was taking people there uh, over as a four day trip. Oh, cool. It's a super nice thing to do because at, at like 35 to 40 K a day, yeah. With the, uh, there's no support so you carry your own stuff but it's it's kind of a night it's it's a long day still every day it's 40k a day yeah. but um but it's, it's not quite 40k it's about 35k a day but you've still got to carry all your stuff you've still got to you know get your water and your food but it also allows people to have a, have a you know it doesn't want to be a suffer fest but it's it, but it changes because the the route is over private land it's always uh, okay. it's always contested and whilst the, the last 30k are an absolute dream downhill well marked there's bits in the first 50k that are unmarked really difficult Technic, technically very very slow um some some scrambling and some climbing and there's a lot of this fires up there in the summer there's you know it's it's i've done it now about 10 times and every time i go and do that one particular stretch it's it's challenging because it you know, even with a gps it's difficult to to climb over some of the stuff you have to do the last time you did it because it's moved and uh yeah but it's an it's, it's epic and you get to see Mallorca in the way that you know in the real Mallorca 
you run through orange groves and almond groves and the places that we stay are little 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 places where you you know you eat local food and it's it's honestly the the, the joy of my of my years to take people there and show them this amazing route which is it, it's not super tough it's 5000 meters over okay. 135k but but each but there's no flat so yeah. you, you know when you come down into a town you can grab some water or some food and you get you, know, you grab local pastries but then you're uh, straight up and a really steep climb for maybe 800 meters a thousand meters of climbing so it's up and down and you're on the sort of cliffs of uh, in certain parts you go through the high just below the highest point uh, of the islands on the, on the penultimate day and it's just it's just a joy honestly it's a beautiful place and uh, but that record bizarrely because given that when i did it with the first time i got heat stroke and spent three hours like shivering on the side of the trail in the night and i got lost um it's 27 hours and it still stands but some somebody should go out there and I, I, so, someone messaged me um about in january and said they were going to have a give it a go in in march and i gave them all my deep you know i said don't use my gps routes because they're all it's always <laughs> about turns and things in them but but i hope i hope someone goes out there and does it it's it's, a, it's just a, just a fab route and you, know, you get to start in the beautiful port of, of andract and you get to finish on the in the sea run straight down onto the beach at uh, puerto Valencia. it's it's really cool nice. We've done, my girlfriend and i've done a lot of these we did uh, we ran around ibiza oh, yeah. for four days in march which is amazing and um it's like again the real ibiza rather than the one that we see on you see on tv um yeah. and actually in, in, in march is actually a little bit too quiet because through 75 percent of the island there is nothing open so it's long days with no with no water and uh no chance to stock up with anything so what you start with is what you finish with wow we did um, minorca the cami de cavals which is a beautiful route around the out around the outside of the island as well and so that for me I, you know my i guess my trip my trail running is, has has I guess morphed away from maverick races and trail, you know, rail to trail, and which are all brilliant. But for me, I've had more joy in the last few years of just running and exploring places, and you know, getting the maps out and buying a map from Amazon or from you know the map store and plotting out a route and spending four days getting lost. Yeah, but we have. But on the flip side is we also reduced the. Uh, We've got to a point now where like 40 k is the perfect daily distance for these trips because you know that you're going to get lost loads. You know <laughs> there's going to be loads of there's going to be loads of problems that you just didn't plan for, like paths don't exist anymore and you know, the, the route isn't quite the one it shows on the map. And so, if you we've done fifty or sixty k in a day, and all happens is you spend the last ten k arguing with each other. <laughs> and wishing it wishing it'd been 40k so now 40k is the thing because that way you can finish in, in good spirits and uh, have a beer on the beach or have a beer in daylight rather than you know, tra traipsing down some trail in the pitch dark yeah it's good yeah. it's good that you've kind of found that out and you know you're you know you're sort of happy place with it now um I think I so. you can always do more but but if you're doing it for, you know as a fun trip yeah beating yourself up for an extra 10k when you don't need to it's just you know yeah no you're doing it so i get it and i would and if it was me on my own i might do it but when there's two of you and you're meant to be having a good time you know <laughs> spending the last 
hour of every every day screaming at each other because it's further than you think um yeah it's not not, not usually not. me doing the screaming in fairness but um i hear my girlfriend tutting about the fact that she that i'm suggesting that she might be screaming it's uh, yeah it's definitely me <laughs> no they're, they're such good good trips to do and i i think that's something that appeals to me and i'm sure lots of other people is just literally going and exploring and seeing what's out there and if you can use your fitness and running as a way to do that and enjoy 100 percent, and i think we're going to see a boom in people organizing these things but i don't think you need to you know people need to wait for somebody to there's, en- there's enough resource out there on strava and oh, yeah. maps and things to just you can you can start them small right you can do it as a, a day trip and run from get a train or from one place to another and run along the south downs way for 40 miles, 30 miles or whatever, and do that as a one day. And you can build up to other things. But I mean, that network of GR trails is across Europe is, is insane. And, yeah. you know, it's, it, I think there's, it's ripe to be, to, to get, once we can get out and travel again and within you know, safely, is have a look at the, the, the network of trails across the UK and there's plenty out there and, uh, and Europe and, and yeah, and just get by some maps and make some plans. I think it's, I think that's, for me, that's the most exciting part of running is, is the ability to travel relatively long distances and see things that you would never do on a, certainly in a car, probably not so much in, a, in on foot other than over weeks and experience some things that, that, you know, that only maybe the local people really experience. And that's the, you know, that's the beauty of those Balearic Islands is you can, yeah, yeah you can, live like the locals for a few days yeah away from all the sort of tourist traps and uh... yeah absolutely and you can go on those trips and there's nothing wrong with that but no, no. but i think it's a it's a healthy way to see uh, to see an island or a place you know in its re- in its reality rather than in its sort of manufactured way yeah no so cool such a good thing to do have you got a favorite trip or experience or race is, is the one that stands out as I mean, Gobi for all, for all the wrong and the right reasons, yeah. just because it's you know, and I and I'd love to get back out to Asia when we can again, because I think that's just it's super exciting what's going on out there, and just in terms of the the consumer, but also just the fact that it you know, hasn't got a history, so everything's new to everybody, and 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 also you and you get to run in places that people have never seen a white runner, which is kind of weird, right? I mean, I, I, when I did um, Gaoligong, I would have, when I left an aid station, I'd have to have 25 selfies to, uh, <laughs> before I left because, because all the local people wanted to, you know, have, and, you know, everyone has a camera phone, but, but no one's seen a white guy in, in, at the time I was, I think, I think that year I ran in like the Salomon um, white shorts and all the, the white oh, kit. Yeah. So I was like, so yeah, it was some <laughs> guy running in white Lycra through some, plant it so and, and Gaoligong is all jungle so it's like yeah it was it was very weird to have local people come to the aid stations and sit there and have stuff it's, it's not the fastest way to get out of an aid station when you need to have 25 photos but <laughs> but uh, no but I was kind of making up the numbers anyway so it didn't really it didn't really matter that much oh. and uh oh, part yeah, of- I mean, yeah Asia's amazing but I have to say that I, I have a real soft spot for that um for for the for Mallorca just because done it so many times now and it's always different but it's just so peaceful and 
and a be- beautiful scenery. And, and, and the running is not super technical in, on the whole. There's technical bits, but it's, it's just a joy. Just enjoy. The weather's usually nice and, yeah. But, but I guess, and I guess Chamonix has been my, my second home for 20, 25 years, I guess. And being from skiing and snowboarding back, back in the 90s through to, through to, yeah, we spent six, we spent a month there, managed to squeeze out for a month um, between wow. lockdowns last year. Hey, that's just pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, and, and when you've been there somewhere so much, you sort of have like friend, people who live locally and friends who, who run restaurants and place in bars and things. And so it's kind of a bit like a home from home and, yeah. uh, and that's nice. And, and I do, uh, do love it there. And, the, and just, you just know the, tr- the whole trail network. Yeah. Um, just without even thinking you want to go out for four hours, it's, yeah, it's the top of your head. It's like going down to running around the local streets. It's great. It's awesome. I think the, the Alps in the summer are just beautiful. Yeah. And, yeah. Don't um, tell anyone though. Don't tell anyone. No. no. Otherwise, well, everyone will start going. Exactly, we'll keep that quiet. And uh, <laughs> how's how's twenty twenty one shaping up for you? So you you recently joined the North Face Explorer team. Uh, yeah, which is I mean, cool. they have a new shoe launched, and I'm not going to do a shoe, you know, a product push, but they have a new shoe launched, and um, and it's the first full carbon plate shoe uh, on the market, and there have been some with with carbon plates. Typically, I think more as a as protection plate rather than a than a plate that for for potion. Um, and I met, I had a, I was fortunate to have a pair of the prototype shoes back in September. I did quite a lot of miles in those. I mean, I, I won't say I, my contribution made any difference to the design because I think by the time I got them, they were, they were well developed. Um, but there is talk, there is quite a lot of difference between the prototypes and, and the current models that are out. But I mean, the rate, the race model, it, it, it is a, it is a sprightly shoe. That carbon plate is, is pretty stiff. Um, and, when you run in them, they, they do work your legs quite hard. That's what, that's my, so I think for faster runners, they, you know, the power compels and the power obviously loves them. Um, and so, you know, but I, I don't, I'm not sure, having said that, I'm not sure that that shoe is for everybody. And I think it's, it's lightweight and I don't know how the longevity will be, but they have got a couple of models that are a bit less racy. And I think those are going to be winners for a lot of runners, particularly people who like the uh, Speedgoat, the oh, yeah. Speedgoat. Yeah. Because it's it's very similar. It's got the rocker sole. It's quite similar in, it, in its construction. I would say it's a little bit more roomy, but um, but it's it's a good shoe and uh, and I think it's going to be popular and, and and it's great to see a brand which and I said this to them when when I joined. So it's not you know it's no secret that I think their, their trail shoe range has been a bit lacking in the past. They've got have they all they've been well known for both sort of street clothing and cool stuff worn by grime artists and mountaineers and they've just not quite but they spent two years developing it with Powell and Hillary Allen and a load of the US athletes and I think they've got a real winner of a of a shoe um we just now got it I'm working with the guys to try and get it on people's feet which is obviously um more challenging than than it would have been in any other year yeah because, we can't, because you can't do it so there will be a uh, fingers crossed if we meet all the guidelines and things a series of of runs in the UK um, okay. where people will get to demo the shoe in the coming, in the coming months. And I think they've, they've already started them in Italy and, and in France. So as you, as we all know, getting, you know, getting on this, trying the shoe on itself and running in it is, is definitely the way forwards because you know, I don't think there's any bad shoes out there. I just think some shoes fit people 
better than others and some are you know more are better for certain conditions but as, i mean we're, we're, we're lucky to now have so much choice i think from you know from salomon to yeah. north face to hoker to you know la sportiva to a ton of brands that that are producing killer products you know, we're sport for choice i think more more than ever yeah so much choice out there and um it's an interesting move um by the North Face, it'll be it'll be interesting to kind of see how that shapes the scene and the way people are thinking. Yeah, um, I, I mean it's a, it's a huge company and and they've got you know and they've got they've they've gone about it the right way I think, which is to employ a specialist team in um, out of uh, in France um, and worked with the athletes to produce something that that the athletes have input into and, and work, and which I think is is often what you know, other brands. Have done as well, and that's why they have shoes that, that the athletes want to race in, and then people see the athletes racing in them, and you know yeah. it's, it's some sort of a formula for success. But yeah, I mean, it, I'm, I'm I'm super happy to be part of that of that team, and uh, yeah, and and receive some of the some of the and seen some of the killer product that's coming down the line. So yeah, it's it's going to be good, and I think the the plan is to to get out there for UTMB and do a load of stuff around. Uh, Thing again, fingers crossed. Can't can't count yeah. on anything, but that's that's the plan for this year. Have you um, have you got any races booked in yourself? Or? So, in theory, uh, a ran by Valderan by UTMB, the Pyrenees okay. race, which I was meant to do last year, yeah. which looks great. Uh, again, it's not probably the best year to be doing a ten thousand meter, hundred and sixty kilometer race without having much mountain training, but. You know, I think it's to come down to you, you running smart rather than necessarily run, running hard and get, just getting round and ha- having an experience, having not been in the mountains for almost a year by that point, it'd be just great to be outside. And then um, run, rabbit, run okay. in Colorado nice. in September. If, if that, again, if, if we yeah. can fly, if we, I'm fortunate to have, to, have, to have had the first of the, of the jabs of the COVID oh, yeah. vaccine. Oh. So, at some point in the next, I guess, six weeks or so, we'll have the second jab. And then, I don't know, it feels like the uh, any sort of COVID passport will, will penalise those who are young and fit. And Yeah, but, actually. Which will be, a, I guess, an issue and it remains to be seen. I don't, I don't know. But that's what I'm planning for, um, those, two, those two races. And, and maybe if I can get out to Chamonix for the UTMB weeks and some running... Some, some running in the uh, in the mountains and get some some stronger legs in that month before yeah going to to Colorado I mean the Colorado issue is going to be uh, altitude as well because I think it starts at 2,000 meters so again sort of a sort of a difficult to do anything from London without <laughs> we, we can travel to the lakes or somewhere and do some mountains but hard to find one hour descents and yeah. 1500 meter climbs when when you're uh, when you're there it is what it is, you know, make the most of it. Everyone's in the, in the same boat, so. Yeah, yeah, no, it's very true. And I think this year especially, again, we just have to play it by ear and see what happens. And How yeah. about you? Have you got, some, have you got something? Uh... Um, so I've got the Lakeland 100 in July. Oh, have you? Um, have you done that before? Twice, actually, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't originally going to do it. And then when things, I was meant to be doing the CCC last year, um, yeah. but that'll be 2022 now um, because it'll be a bit close to the Lakeland. So I sort of entered the Lakeland yeah. Valley. Um, 
So yeah, I've got that. Um, Ring of I think there's a few people who've uh, who've signed up for TCC this year and then have switched into TDS who might be in for a uh, oh really bit of a shock. Yeah, well, <laughs> I did it when it was 120k, and and now it's obviously 146. Is that right? Something like that. Yeah, and and it that it's it's got a miserable end to it. It's got a couple of br- brutal climb. It did have a brutal climb at like 100k, and now it's going to be at 100. 20k or something yeah. 130k and uh i think if it's gonna be anyone from the uk who's, who's doing it who doesn't live in you know doesn't live in the lakes and <laughs> needs to have a i think needs to have a big mileage strategy on there i think it's as, i think it's as hard as utmb honestly really yeah i think i've heard that actually i've not done it it's but... more technical it's definitely less runnable in in chunks not always but there's big chunks that and it, i think it it tend it's quite loaded towards the end in terms of some big climbs that that um that make it hard yeah but, yeah I, I, we've all been there and done our first mountain races and but i think you know for me if, if i was uh, if i was coaching people i'd be like you need to get on get on it now get the volume <laughs> in get the uh, get the mileage up and get time on legs because it's going to be a 30 plus hour race yeah probably it's... for a lot of people if you if you can't get to the mountains and all you've got is flat it's going <laughs> to be a long a long day yeah, it's going to be a bit of a brief. It's fun, but uh, <laughs> but it'll be a long day for sure. I might I might do the same and try and get out there over the summer if I can at some point. So it's always... as long as you don't go UTMB week, it's actually reasonably inexpensive. Yeah, true, true. And it just goes through the roof for UTMB week, and uh, we we paid uh, seven hundred euros for a month for a, a one bed, one and a half bed apartment, and uh, worked from there. And uh, it was good. It was really good. I mean, obviously you've got to still got to pay at home, but um, yeah, but the, the cost of, of living there was was certainly no no less expensive, no more expensive than uh, well, it's about the same living in London. Not cheap, but but no. accommodation was cheap. Do, do pay we... more than that for a week of UTMB. Yeah, yeah, massively. The uh, prices go through the roof, but it's all oh, yeah. Part of it. Yeah. Um, cool. Um, where, where's the best place to find out about you and your running and adventures? So the best place probably is in Instagram, James D. Paul. Pretty unexciting, but uh, I, you know, I always feel like I should put the runner in my name because that's what everyone does, isn't it, these days? But yeah. um, I've had my account before, I guess I identified as an ultra runner. But um, yeah, at James D. Paul, um, we, have a fa- we have a Facebook group for Advent Running and people will be very welcome. There's a, a whole uh, mixed group of people on there, uh, all brilliant. Uh, lots, actually, if people are watching this and they're ultra runners and they live in London, there's a pretty uh, active group of, of pe- people on there who are ultra runners who are, have done a load of Centurion. We've got loads of um, Grand Slam ultra, um, Centurion runners. We've got lots of people who are out doing the maverick races and things locally so if people want to you know want and getting into trail running and want some company want some advice then then hit me up or join the group and there's there's a wealth of information on there from uh, and there's just a super nice super accepting group this i've been running has no uh, has no fee there's no membership requirements you just you know when we get back to running post up the runs and people turn up so nothing nothing incurs a cost um so it's all free um advent running uh on facebook on instagram and obviously for me at james d pool on instagram 
Cool. We'll also we'll link out to uh, the Red Bull Bulletin as well, because I think... Yeah, I'll send you the link. It's a, it's a good read. And the photo, I mean, in fairness, the photos are amazing. Yeah. Not taken by me, but um, the photos are killer. So, yeah, if you can put a, put a link in there and uh, check, if you want to check out the photos of the photographer, uh, James Carnegie Photo is the guy who's taken them, and, and a lot of me uh, on my Instagram account. And just... Uh, Super, super guy. He, he, I think his first photo assignment came when he, or his first love of running and photos was when he, when he ran with his camera at uh, Marathon de Saab. So oh, wow. the guy can also run himself. And I think that makes a big difference to the way he frames his shots and the way he captures them. And, and, yeah, that's yeah. cool. So he's, and he's a bit of a legend. So yeah, I've seen a lot. Worth, of, worth a follow. Yeah, definitely. I, I follow him on Instagram and he's always, he's always putting out great content. So uh, I mean, definitely yeah, worth a look. Just, 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 and again, all the people who are passionate about things tend, to, in my humble opinion, tend to be uh, too better at them, right? Yeah, definitely, totally agree with that. Um, James, thanks very much for your time tonight. And uh, pleasure, and... Tom. Hopefully, we'll actually see you in real life somewhere. I think the last time I saw you was at um, SVP 100, wasn't it? Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, it would have been. So that was yeah, a, a low, 2018 or something. 20. Nine, uh, 2019, 2019 I think yeah mm -hmm. I did it again last year but it's because it's a local one for me but um yeah that probably was the last time so yeah Matt Hearn I'm sure he's gonna he'll try and get it going again this year I don't know I haven't seen I, I bump into him on the canal every now and then but I uh, haven't seen him it's a good it's, I mean it's great 100, 100 kilometers on your doorstep yeah it's a great event um and he, he was able to go ahead with it last year during locked well not yeah because he when it was just in that 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 period wasn't it when he managed to sort of to get it done yeah so i think the one that the one i think we might do in the uk this year I might try and squeeze into the camino ultras you know those guys yeah yeah and they've got a race that ends in uh, hackney wick which is about two two k from home so Perfect. anything that, that that runs that close to my house has got to be a um uh yes yeah, so camino ultra 50k um would be, oh, that'd be cool yeah, be good. I think it's like Hartford to, to East London along the canal. Nice. Different, something different to do. Yeah, I mean, good training, huh? Yeah, massively. Um, no, that'd be good. So, yeah, thanks very much, James. Hopefully see you soon. Um, Absolute pleasure, Tom. Thanks. It's awesome, awesome. And uh, we'll hopefully see you in real life uh, and other people, of course, uh, <laughs> in, in the near future. Yeah, definitely. I can't wait for things to kind of get back to a bit more. Oh, I, think, I think the whole world, right, is, re yeah, is ready for ready to get back to to normal. Definitely, um, and we'll be we'll be back again here on Trail Runs uh, next week with another interview. And you can find out everything at Trail Runs UK on Instagram and on trailruns.co.uk. We'll see you soon.